Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, with your host, the CEO of People G2 himself, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Uh, Just in case this is your first time tuning into the Talent Talk Radio Show, we basically feature a wide range of guests who care about talent and are uniquely talented themselves. So in this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. Uh, First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. So hopefully you see how that works. The word talent has a couple different meanings in the business world. And this show looks to explore these two areas as best we can, as well as have the impact that talented individuals have on companies uh, on their culture. So my guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, and HR executives from all different types of industries. And usually what ends up happening is I'm at a networking event or a conference or even a book club. And uh, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. And I created this forum to allow you to listen on our dialogue instead of me just cornering them and hearing it all for myself and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget, you can submit your questions uh, via Twitter. Just use the at PeopleG2 and hashtag Talent Talk. My producer, Mike, will feed me the best questions, and we'll try to work them into the show. You can also send us guest suggestions or anything else you want that way as well. Don't forget, you can uh, listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes or Android. Subscribe to have it sent to you every week, and join the other 81,000 people who are listening to the podcast each week. We uh, thank those uh, those of you who have joined us in the last week, kind of bumping up a few more thousand uh, clicks there. We really hope you continue to enjoy the show and uh and to be a part of our growing audience. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests include Brendan Farrell, the Director of Operations at uh, Schlemmer. Is that right? Schlemmer? That's right. Schlemmer, Algazi, and Associates. And uh, John uh, Heiliger, the HR Talent Acquisition Director for Lockheed Martin. John will be joining me at the second half on our show via the the phone, but uh, we have Brendan here live in the studio, so let's get him uh, going. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and of course, uh, you know, what you're, what's going on at your company. Sure. You know, I always kind of start this conversation with uh, I was raised in a military family, which uh, had a profound impact on sort of the way I navigate the world. So no matter where we lived and we moved around a lot, um, that culture was always sort of consistent. Sure. I graduated with a BA in biology from Bowdoin College in Maine. Then I got my master's of fine arts from George Washington University. Uh, and then... Um, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> a degree in biology and then a master's in fine arts. Master's in fine arts, sure. Uh, you know, the original plan was <clears throat> to be an orthopedic surgeon. Okay. Um, and then while I was in college, I, I went away to Ireland and started acting again, which is something I did as a, as a young man, um, as a kid, really. I was a young man in college. And, you know, for whatever reason, those questions I was asking myself at the time, what am I going to do with my life, etc., mm-hmm. were sparked when I was doing the theater uh, while I was... Right. Away. So I ended up pursuing that for a number of years through to getting my Master of Fine Arts and through actually all the way to the to move the move to Los Angeles. That was the driving sure. factor behind it. So then my girlfriend, now wife and mother of our son, moved to Los Angeles in 2003. Mm-hmm. I bounced around a lot in production and learned very quickly and f- gratefully that uh, the freelance lifestyle is not one that I wanted to sustain or, or that made me happy. So in 2005, 2006, I started to think about what I was going to do. 
um, and that involved either going back to school or, or going into an agency training program at CAA or Endeavor or something like that, or getting an executive assistantship with somebody who wanted to, to teach. Um, that, to me, uh, seemed to be the road least traveled, at least in my life experience mm-hmm. up to that point, uh, and was the most interesting and was the opportunity that came along first. So for the past eight years before joining Shlomer Algazi and Associates, I worked as I started as the executive assistant to the CEO at a game company called Imagination. And it was a you know a madcap entrepreneurial environment, a lot of boom, a lot of bust, and a lot of opportunity for me. So I moved from his assistant to his assistant and the COO's assistant to operations manager to finally being the director of operations for the last four years I was there. Then that wound down in December of 2013, and perfect timing to spend some time at home with the son. And then the opportunity at Schlemmer Algazi and Associates came along in June. And Schlemmer Algazi and Associates is an interior design and architecture firm. About 135 people, I think, was the last headcount I saw. Mm-hmm. But growing, I think we'll probably add, you know, 12 to 16 people in the next few months. Well, it's a, a fascinating story. I mean, we get a lot of we get a lot of stories in here in the show, and I've never had had one was quite a I don't want to say a left turn or a right turn, but very different uh, in, in what you studied initially to to where you ended up, and then sure. kind of then where you ended up from a career standpoint, either not in anything to do with fine arts or with biology, and you're in an operation. So you've kind of had three turns here. Uh, three turns. I mean, the, the fine arts and the theater and the acting stuff, that's that's still a hobby, and I spend a lot of my free time doing that. Mm-hmm. But no matter what it was, in my pursuit of science, in my pursuit of the craft of acting, and, and in operations, I've always been very keen on understanding how things work and how to not necessarily do them better, but do them with more ease and more efficiency. Right. Um, and that's that's always been a driving curiosity of mine. So right. so ending up where I am today kind of makes sense. But sure, I, I wandered through a few different fields on the, <laughs> on the way. Oh, that's great. So I, you know, kind of looking at your, your the role in what you're doing now and as a director of operations, um, you know, I'm sure what you want is to make sure that you have some of the best talent at your disposal, and you're in a very specific and unique field in, in that of interior design, architecture. So I, you don't have the, maybe the same talent pool that a lot of us do. We can hire people that maybe could could, could kind of learn something and be in there. You have people that have to have specific training, specific talent. So what is the role in acquiring talent or the, or offering maybe strategic advice on what the human capital needs that the company might have at any given time that, that really you're focused on? Well, I'm, I'm the new guy. I've only been there since June. So I really don't have a direct role in acquiring the talent. We have a fantastic HR department that uh, manages that very well, and they have a lot of demands on them to get that done. For me, I'm mostly involved in the conversation, really, on mm-hmm. a sort of at a peripheral level, really, right now. And when I get involved in the conversation, to me, the most important part of that search is is always to focus on the needs. I think sometimes we go into a search for talent and we think we're focused on the needs and then we meet somebody who might suddenly have a whole bunch of wants that we have and maybe the company isn't quite ready to utilize the talent that they're sitting across the table mm-hmm. from and maybe they bring them in in advance and it kind of re- can result in a lot of frustration on all sides. Sure. So I when I when I have the conversation about what we're looking for, I really try and make sure that we're focusing on filling the needs. Right. Yeah, we've we've seen a lot of people do that with like salespeople. They may have the opportunity to hire the perfect person who on paper they absolutely know could do a spectacular job, yet they bring them in. They don't have the resources, the marketing. They don't have all these other things they need to feed that entire system to allow that person to be successful. Sure. Right, so you're better off waiting a year or, or two, or maybe even having to pass on that person if yep. you if you can't support them because then it's just a bad marriage, right? Yep. Absolutely. 
Yeah, so it's an important, kind of important role and thing to think about. Maybe since you're kind of talking about kind of being fresh into this role, what was maybe the first thing that you remember really about the company's culture when you walked in the door? Well, I, you always notice the contrasts first, of mm-hmm. course. So um, I came from Imagination was a very, you know, it was a goods business and you know, manufacturing and and supply chain and not really a gentle sort of atmosphere to be frank with you so walking into saa one of the first things i noticed was how caring and how much regard particularly from top down they had for their employees and that that was a fantastic thing to see it was a little jarring for me Mm -hmm. i I remember uh joking with our director of hr that they seem to be more touchy-feely than some of the theater companies i've spent time with (laughs) but you know from from the top down it's fantastic to care in that way and i think the way that the way that from the bottom up it's realized is that people feel that they can have a life outside of work, that their opinions are heard, um, and that there's it lends itself to a degree of flexibility, right. if that makes sense. So if you have this company that's acting that way and they're, but, and they're being successful, what do you think is really driving the you know, the real kind of growth or, or success of the company then? In SAA's case, it's definitely um, they're very client-focused. And making sure that we do what the client needs. So it's it's very similar. They they listen really well. There's a lot of care and sincere regard for delivering on what the client wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that you know I think that can set anybody apart when you when you pay that right. much attention. So I think that's a big part of it. And also they've got their they ha- they hire a lot of hard workers and they turn work around quality work around very very quickly. So those I think are the two things that have really positioned SAA to be where it is right now is they focus on the client and they get it done quick. So certainly it seems intuitive that they really need to be able to communicate well with the client, understand what they need, because it's pretty hard to uh, change. (laughs) If you started building something or designing something, I mean, changing is a huge cost and a huge problem. Sure. And the deeper into a project you go, the more expensive it is to change. Right. Absolutely. So do you really need people that are particularly, you know, have a cognitive ability or an intuitiveness? I mean, is there maybe a special skill there that, because I've always wondered, you know, how, how does someone take what I tell them and that vision, right? And then mm-hmm. turn it into something on, on a pretty consistent basis as being good. Sure. You know, I think it, it maybe the the word that I'm looking for is awareness. It's awareness of what you're bringing to the table, mm-hmm. as well as being able to hear and be aware of what the client is actually communicating. Sometimes, right. sometimes when you're dealing, particularly in a service business, maybe he's coming to somebody's coming to you for the first time, and they don't really understand how the service that you provide works. So you have to listen to what it is that they're trying to communicate and translate into that into what's actionable from your point of view in order to uh, deliver on their vision while also being able to be successful in, in the provision of the service. Yeah. So in in the role of operations, do you kind of see any uh, maybe opportunities or places where you might work on this or maybe you're, you're seeing where it can be improved where you're really kind of dealing with the day-to-day things that need to be done but also making sure that there's an alignment of culture, there's an alignment of of how you how you work together, how you you know communicate with clients and things like that, because it's very very easy to have. Okay, we need to get this done. You come in and say, well, I, I can get X, Y, and Z done, but does that match up with how we're supposed to do things as a company? Sure. Right? Sure. Well, at SAA, you know, one of the great things looking at it from a personal point of view and from you know a job engagement point of view is that there. You can improve everywhere along the process. And even if we were, quote-unquote, doing it perfect, it's the type of process process that you can always improve upon. And there's always a new technology that might make the production arm more efficient. There's always something to learn about what might be out there in the marketplace, about what might be interesting to your client. So there's 
constant room for improvement, or there's always room for constant improvement, mm-hmm. I guess is what I really mean. So, I mean, are there specific things? There are specific things that I look at every single day. <laughs> so many specific things that sometimes I go, ah, where am I going to start? There's always room for improvement, I guess yeah. would be the, the way to put it. And in terms of aligning, um, can you repeat the question about aligning the culture? And Yeah, I mean, do you see a role in what your work in operations in making sure that there's alignment in culture? I mean, do you feel like you're, that's a, a role that you have to kind of take on beyond the CEO, beyond HR, that because you're seeing things operationally, sure. that you have to kind of help implement that? And uh, Yeah, I think specifically sort of where we're poised right now, um, we have a really ambitious growth plan for the next mm-hmm. few years. And in order to do that, um, one of the things, uh, a phrase that I really like, and I, I said this at our leadership retreat uh, a month ago or a few weeks ago. Basically, the company wants to go somewhere where it's never been before. And whether when you're doing that as an individual, as a family, or as a company, in order to go places you've never been before, you have to do things you've never done before. Right. And in order to do that, it requires the presence of mind in the moment to make decisions other than the habitual ones. So as we, as we grow and attempt to reach this goal... You know, a lot of times our project teams sort of think of their processes as as singular Mm -hmm. and sort of separate, like it's very project-focused as opposed to stepping back a little bit and maybe letting go of some of the stuff they hold on to very closely and trusting it more to the process that we've that we are putting and have continued to put in place and sort of letting the responsibility roll through the process, if that makes sense, rather than hold on to it really tight, make sure my part's done, and then hand it off. And then that person holds on to it really tight. Yeah, because you don't want self-created silos. I mean, you don't want self-created silos. And and I understand it. I mean, part part of what they do is they, you know, they do their jobs very well and they take a great deal of pride in that. But to grow the way we want to grow, you have to take a little bit more pride in sort of the company as a whole and the brand as a whole and the process as a whole and make sure you do your part, but don't slow it down as it as it flows on to the next person. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a guest in here the other day that made a very similar analogy that, you know, if all we care about is growth, we can put a meth lab in the basement and, you know, we can have a lot of growth, but that doesn't mean necessarily ties in with our cultural values and what our company is all about and you know things like that so you can always make decisions that will get to you to your goal but you have to kind of cross those with well who are we does that make sense sure is this is this a long-term uh, decision for success or does this put us at risk and things like of that nature and yeah i i always see you know operations can have a big impact on that because you're having to weigh a lot of different things that aren't necessarily compliance. I mean, HR can come in and say, well, we can do this, we can't do this because of this reason. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I've sat in roles in operations where you have to say, well, not because of this compliance, not because of this hard rule, it's because it doesn't make sense. You can kind of explain to people that, you know, what actually makes sense, what really is uh, viable for the company long term. Yep. From the the cultural point of view, when it it speaks to... Our situation and our growth, what I really want to be able to do is, as I spoke about, the two things that have really driven the success is sort of the the client-facing customer service aspect of things and also the speed with which we get things done. So as we grow, I want our our, particularly our forward-facing individuals to have the faith that when they hand off the project to the internal side of things, that they can trust that it's going to be done up to their standards and they can spend more time looking out. Right. So since you've just kind of gone through this process, maybe you can share some of the positive things or things that you think, you know, or maybe in other companies you've, you, you've seen this in. As a new employee comes in and they need to learn 
what's important about the culture? Because you can only do so much in kind of testing. Our, do we feel like they're going to line up in our culture? But that doesn't necessarily mean that that person understands what's expected from them inside that culture. Sure. So are there things that you would suggest that companies consider doing to really make sure that person gets kind of onboarded or, you know, that gets the information they need quickly to understand so they can start to make decisions independently based on that. Sure. Uh, I mean, that, for us specifically, that's a real that's a real challenge because anybody who comes on board at our organization is going to be plunked into a very fast-paced environment very, mm-hmm. very quickly. So, you know, in general, if I'm sort of giving advice to other people, take as much time with it as you possibly can. You know, unfortunately, when you're a business like ours, Sometimes people get kicked out of the nest and have to fly maybe a little bit earlier than they're ready to fly. They learn to do it. We hire people who are capable of doing that type of thing. But it doesn't always necessarily, one, respect the process, or two, um, support your culture, if that Mm -hmm. makes any kind of sense. So, uh, you know, the piece of advice I would give if I'm in any position to give advice is to take as much time with that process as you possibly can. Be as thorough as you can. Have as many short conversations or long conversations up front as you possibly can. Because just like when you're working on a project at our firm, the longer the project goes, the more expensive it is to make that change. So spend as much time with your employees up front and in the beginning as possible to make sure that they're really hearing what you're saying, that they're really executing on the things you want them to execute on. And then, you know, let them go. Yeah. Are there things that you think are particularly important to employees as they come in in the beginning of the process? Uh, I think it really depends on the firm or, or the organization or the company. Um, I think the things that that make employees feel valued is that uh, they're not just given a desk and sort of forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that checking in, sort of what I said earlier about a lot of conversation up front, making sure that they know one, where to go when they're lost, two, where to get the things they need, and three, where to put the things that they've worked on when they're finished. I think those are the three most important things. And then a lot of the other stuff in terms of, you know, a lot of the other stuff sort of comes as you spend time. Mm. Yeah, and those are, it's, it's good advice. We've, we've seen some examples where people come in, they don't even have a desk to go to, so. <laughs> sure, and yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go work over at Starbucks today? You know, it's like, yeah, companies are moving a little too quick or not organized in a, in a way, and that, that can just be deflating for somebody. It can be very deflating for somebody, and frustrating for the people who, you know, had they known, would have had everything ready for that person to show up. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's frustrating on all sides. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, looking at, you know, maybe from a leadership development standpoint, what do you do to help foster growth, not only in your own management team, but also in the employees with, you know, maybe management potential? Are the things you guys are doing actively? I, you know, as the new guy, that's a little harder to answer. What I would like to see as, as I continue to grow with the firm in our our management team is that we challenge each other. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I think, is the best way to, to establish growth. But coming in as a new guy, I can't just start throwing gauntlets down. People are going to get upset or offended. Or Can you just say it. you played Thor once? No. <laughs> uh, I never did, but that, that would have been there a good go. one. That could be your Halloween, Halloween costume. And <laughs> come walk and say, I'm throwing down the gauntlet. Here's my hammer, and we're going to start doing this now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as you – yeah, you know, it's tough to be to do that as a new person. But hopefully um, – and I'm starting to feel that. I definitely feel that with my IT guy. I definitely feel that with my, my HR guy. And uh, we have an applications manager as well that the IT and I have to work very closely with. And I mm-hmm. feel us starting to push each other, which right. is fantastic. In terms of um, dealing with people who have management or, or leadership talent that are a little lower down on the pole, I try – as much as I can when I have the opportunity to to 
let them know that they have the permission to try things. Because I think that's something that really people struggle with is they're trying to figure out how do I go from just doing the job I was hired to do to, to moving along to something that I might want to do down the line mm-hmm. is learning how to give yourself permission to do things. Um, and then if they take the initiative to to try something out, right. to be there if it doesn't work out, and to be there if it does work out. Yeah. I mean, you reminded me of the the book. Uh, Brendan's actually a member of our the OCHR Executive Book Club. Uh, that, Great book that, club. Yeah, that we... We put together, and uh, partly because of uh, Julie Wolf, who's the HR person he's been uh, referring to, who's been on the radio show. She was actually on with her twin sister, who's in HR as well. And um, but yeah, we read uh, "Turn the Ship Around," mm-hmm. and the uh, giving yourself permission was the, the "I intend to" type uh, language. You know, communicating, "Hey, I'm going to go do this," yep. and by by doing that, letting other people know what you intend to do, then gives you that initiative to feel like you're, you're the one who came up with it, you're driving it, you're going to try something new, but at the same time, people know what you're doing, so you're not going to possibly do something that's going to cause a problem. Correct. And I guess for me, what do I specifically do to, is I try, I try to make sure I hear it when somebody comes up with that sort of I intend to mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes people will be saying it and you're just not listening because you're focused on, on other things. So I really try to keep my radar up for that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of acknowledging that initiative or seeing it because it's very easily then months down the road to be complaining that no one has an initiative and no one's taking all this stuff and then you can go back and well you know the time when they did they got squashed exactly. or no one paid attention or yeah gave them that, gave them that or instead of maybe they couldn't there but then you quickly find them something else where they can take an initiative to to drive that that feeling they're having yeah it's uh it, it could be tough so ideally would you be looking at from a, maybe a succession planning standpoint, would you want people within your organization to be kind of growing up and filling in positions as those other things go? Or are you in the kind of environment where you need to be finding the next kind of star from somebody else to kind of plug in to, to handle the things that you're doing? That's a good question and a hard question to answer because bringing somebody in from the outside, you know, I'm somebody who was brought in from the outside. Um, and I have a, a very different point of view and a de- very different way of doing things. So there's a there's tremendous value in that, particularly if you're at an organization that might be a little bit stagnant. But if you're at an organization that has good leadership and is growing well in, in sort of an organic way, I think that training um, the people that are on your staff already to take ownership, to understand all of the parts, um, to think of... To think about the process as their own process, even if it's not the part of the process that they're directly re- involved in. I don't think it gets any better than that. Occasionally, that you know, you do have to rock the boat a little bit, and whether or not that's bringing in a different kind of point of view in a training program or bringing in somebody from the outside. You know, both are important. I guess is the is yeah. the real answer. Yeah, depends on what the need is. Yeah. Now I may know the answer to this next uh, question because. Because you're in the book club, but it might be different. <laughs> but uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, you know, the, what I'm reading right now is a direct result of having read Turn the Ship Around. And mm. um, I picked up Thomas Paine's Common Sense. Are you familiar with it? It's an essay he wrote back in 1770 hmm. yeah. something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was because, you know, the comments that uh, the narrator of the book uh, makes about the Constitution. He talks about the Constitution a few times. And I yeah. thought to myself, you know what? He's right. This is a really important document. It's been a long time since I took a look at it. And my son pulled Common Sense out of the bookshelf the other day. So I just picked it up and started reading it. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I, I, I think I remember reading it or having to reference it at one point in my uh, I had a constitutional law class that uh-huh. I had to take in in college, but so it sounds familiar. But yeah, it, it's it's the thing that uh, 
it's basically sort of an essay about why what was going on in America at the time was so important. Mm-hmm. Um, and he makes unbelievably eloquent points and illuminative points. Um, and the thing that is amazing about it is you read it, and it's the same conversation we're having today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was one, you know, the first page I was like, gosh, why don't we ever just take the time to learn from our history? You know, <laughs> if we did, things we're would get better to a repeat lot quickly. It. You're doomed <laughs> to repeat it, you know? <laughs> Well, really appreciate you uh, being here as our guest today. We've learned a lot uh, about you and the organization and uh, what you guys are doing over there. Uh, if anyone's interested in learning more about uh, the firm, uh, uh, Schlemmer, Algazi and Associates, uh, how can they do that? The best way to learn about the firm would be to go to the website, which is www.saaia.com. Okay. Great. And uh, they can check that out. And we hopefully we can have you come back at some point, give us an update on how you're doing. would love to. Whether that's... Uh, and on stage or, or in the company. <laughs> so, uh, Brendan, uh, thank you again, thank you for being here. And uh, John uh, Heiliger will be uh, coming up after this quick commercial break. Thanks very much. Smart Business Network is a business-to-business multimedia company providing insight, advice, and strategy for C-level executives of fast growth, middle market, and large companies. As one of the nation's largest publishers of local management journals, under the Smart Business name, Smart Business Network publishes 19 regional print editions, presents dozens of large and small-scale business conferences and award programs, and produces a vibrant interactive digital media presence. For more information, visit us at www.sbnonline.com. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months. And the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows. 
You can do that lots of different ways. First way is go to octalkradio.net and click on the Shows tab and click on Talent Talk. You can also go to uh, talenttalkradio.com. We have all the shows listed there. And uh, if you're not into listening and you just want to read about them, you can go to the People G2 blog and you can read recaps and see all of our uh, books and different things that we suggest there as well. Uh, so in the short time we've existed, like I mentioned earlier, we're up to 81,000 of you that are engaging and uh, listening to the podcast each week on an average basis, and we really appreciate your support and being a part of the community. So thank you. My next guest is uh, John Heiliger. He's the HR Talent Acquisition Director for Lockheed Martin. Don't forget to tweet your questions uh, for John live right now by sending them to at PeopleG2 and use that hashtag Talent Talk. But uh, John, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, of course, give us a for anyone that's been living under a rock, uh, a little bit of information about your company. So I've been in recruiting for the better part of 17 years and in talent leadership roles for about 13 years. I joined Lockheed about eight months ago to lead a, what I would call a multifaceted role overseeing talent acquisition, strategic workforce planning, uh, and analytics. Lockheed is a 113,000-person organization worldwide presence uh, engaged in research, design, development, manufacturing, and sustainment advanced technology. So we're about 500 cities, 572 facilities, 50 states across the U.S., uh, and our, really our mission is solving complex challenges, uh, U.S. government, commercial space, you know, discovery, innovative solutions for our customers, as well as safety and uh, environmental uh, technologies. Yeah, certainly your company does quite a few things seems one of those ones that uh, most people have heard of. And I'm not sure if it's possible for you to, to be a little bit louder or not. I'm not sure if your phone is all the way as close to your mouth as it can, but we're having a little, we have a little challenge hearing you, but we'll try to work on the engineering board as well. There we go. Uh, so I know you've been with Lockheed Martin, uh, like you said, since earlier this year, but as the director of uh, talent acquisition, I'm sure you've you've had to really hit the ground running and, and, and be doing a lot of things to, to meet the challenges that the such a diverse company is probably throwing at you. What's maybe been your biggest challenge to date or maybe perhaps the most rewarding uh, of those challenges? Yeah, I would probably say there's three of them. I wish that there was just one, but I think there's three that are important. And, you know, it's, it really starts with continuing the shift um, for how we uh, attract talent toward more of a marketing approach. What I mean by that is leveraging the latest technology and tools to respond to shift in talent markets, whether it's targeting millennial talent populations, whether it's uh, leveraging technology, uh, CRM and mobile, uh, for example. That's a big one. We, we have a challenge in educating management, getting them to think differently about their approach to talent and how we recruit the selection process, the candidate experience, things like that, um, not to mention how we plan for our future workforce. Uh, that's that's a big shift. One in which that you know, happily to say that our organization is really bought into and is actually excited to go do. The other, probably the third, close third anyway, data analytics insights and and visualization. That storytelling. How do we leverage information to make better decisions? How do we use it to predict the future? Uh, the whole big data concept is is another. So you talked about uh, really being able to leverage some of those tools for. You know, having people come to want to work for you, and I'm sure, as you know, like I said, being a recognized name, that that's something that you're able probably to do pretty successfully. 
But, you know, being a strategic leader, I'm sure one of your jobs in the town acquisition is to make sure that there's really a positive return on that investment in the, you know, when you're making those decisions. So what do you do or encourage your staff to do to find and recruit really the best candidates within that, that sphere? <clears throat> That's a good question. It's, it's something that keeps most of us talent leaders up at night, and that is, <laughs> you know, understanding where we succeed and where we fail. And what I mean by that is, you know, measuring quality of hire, what are our failure rates. Maybe there's a particular talent pool that we just we, we struggle with attracting. And, and I think it starts to understanding that and how you would course correct in your strategy or continue to leverage and maybe even double down in certain areas. Thinking different as it relates to a marketing-minded uh, approach is another. Um, thinking about you know your candidates, how do they think, what do they want to hear, what matters to them, whether it's how you message and advertise jobs, how you speak to them on the phone, the types of messaging that's related to our employment value proposition and making sure that's consistent. Those are, those are the big ones that we're really driving. Right. And I imagine a lot of this can be maybe connected into how successful you're being from a succession planning standpoint, because I'm going to guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, it might be a lot easier to be, if you have people that are ready to move up into positions, it's maybe a little easier to feed in those bottom positions with, with people coming out of school or millennials that are ready to, to take on that job uh, than it is to maybe be, you know, kind of grabbing stars from other companies and trying to bring them in. And then hopefully that, like you said, that they're not failing, that you're getting a good fit culturally or, and doing well in the company. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how that works and if you're being successful there with your succession planning uh, type strategies. You know, I, I actually was pretty impressed when I got here. The leadership development and succession planning approach is, I would probably consider world class from the standpoint of how we assess that talent and building out succession plans, ready now candidates. Um, I think there is a shift, though. I think it's kind of uh, pairing that with the shift and the expectation as our business changes, how does it impact leadership changes? And so you, you have to think about your development approaches differently and almost on the fly. Mm-hmm. So that's probably a challenge you asked earlier, probably one of the things I would add. But um, we take a very serious approach to our development and succession planning. So maybe on a very you know high level, what are some of the things that your company does that maybe you think all companies should be doing if they're going to have a good succession planning program? You know, we do a couple things. One, we have a full-spectrum leadership construct. What I mean by that is it's the, the behaviors and the competencies that um, we tie to successful leadership. And so you, you develop, you hire based on those. And it's all driven, largely driven around culture and values. And so it's, being that that's such a important element to successful hiring and, and retention, I think it starts there. And I think as you hire individuals as potential leaders, you, you, you tie those competencies into your hiring approach as well. Yeah, and we, we certainly have seen examples where you can have someone that fits perfectly culturally and, you know, they, they get the company, they have the right values, but... They have to be able to do the job, too, right? <laughs> they have to have the skill set. Exactly. And they have to be able to, to you know, and they might be they're perfect in the job they're at. Does that really mean that they can become the manager of that division or move into a more strategic role? So is there, is that, is that a, is that an evaluation process? Is that a education process or maybe a mix of all, you know, several things? Yeah, it's a mix. I mean, the, the technical elements of the role, whether it's, you know, giving them on-the-job experience or training them, you know, mentoring with individuals that are actually doing the role. There's there's several areas that, that 
you know, we leveraged to, to ensure that whether you're hiring somebody from the outside, obviously it's made a little different, but internally uh, maximizing, make sure that they're successful through those approaches are, are important. Yeah. So I think you said something like 17,000 employees, and I'm guessing they're not all sitting in your office. So, you know, how do you even begin to understand whether or not there's alignment and a successful kind of outreach of, of, of culture? How do you really make sure that that's happening? Because you, you know what you're supposed to be hiring for, but is it really happening out in the field? Do you have any sense or gauge of that? Well, I, well, I can I can tell you that it starts with our values, and our CEO does an amazing job at that. And so when you think about maybe the subtle differences between offices, even business areas or departments or or divisions, the values are that common thread, and it's something that is baked into messaging, how we run meetings, those types of things. And and you know, I've, I've I haven't been here long enough to be to all 500 locations, but I've, I've been <laughs> it enough to know that I'm I'm pretty amazed at at structure and and, and the, the the commonality in which we behave and act around those values. But there are subtle differences. Um, some of the companies um, and divisions are based on acquisitions, and so you've got individuals from previous companies that, you know, uh, and or demographics that you know that create those subtle differences. But it doesn't, you know, there is there's no evidence. I haven't seen enough to be able to tell you it made a huge issue or impact on the mission. I've noticed that you know some good companies that you know are dealing with large numbers of people that either have geographical differences or, like you said, acquisitions, or they really have every excuse, every variable to have these almost siloed companies or siloed locations or divisions that really are kind of operating independently. But it seems like, and, and you mentioned this briefly, structure is a really big part of that. So it, it, do you feel like that that is a kind of overarching part of it? I mean, it's, it's, you've identified what's what, what what the culture is what's important but do you think the structure and the and adding in those things is really important to driving it in the long run yeah i think so i mean i think structure comes from you know those values and behaviors and and i know i've i've mentioned some of those values but i think you know in terms of our ethical approach evol- you know all evolving our culture also but you know structure is important sometimes it's forced on by the customer um, but some is based on how we know we can succeed whether it's a particular product we develop, whether it's a service we provide. Um, but, yes, I think, I think that structure is absolutely important. And, and then you also have the challenge when you're, when you're interviewing and dealing with these people that at some level you've got to communicate what it's expected, what the culture is. At the same time, you don't want to the point that they can just regurgitate that and almost you know, hoodwink you coming in the door. So are there some processes in place to kind of test your assumptions and test whether this person really is you know how they're uh, how they're being perceived internally as an applicant that's a great question uh i think uh historically we've relied on certain sources of talent that we know drive a similar culture so that's that's kind of the easy answer right the talent that doesn't come from those cultures or cultures we're not familiar with it does drive us to um, maybe be more disciplined in how, what kind of questions we ask to validate whether they have that cultural mindset and share those same values. And so there are uh, there are selection processes, especially at the leadership level, that that we focus on. Yeah. Well, I'm wondering if you look back uh, even at companies that you've been a part of in the past, you know, or, or even now, you know, looking at from the eyes of the employees, what do you feel is the most important element for them? Um, 
you know, maybe it might be the same, you know, the beginning, middle, and end, but is there something overarching that you think is really important for them to be happy, successful, and, and a good contributor to the company? I do. You know, kind of two two angles to that question. One is Lockheed, and one is what I've seen across multiple companies. And, and at the end of the day, actually, I don't see much of a difference, and I think those uh, common denominators are career growth potential. Are they getting to work on challenging and meaningful projects? Do they work for a company that's collaborative, innovative, flexible? You know, you could argue uh, culture, you know, would be sort of similar to to that. I think manager quality is a a common thread or leadership quality is a common thread throughout those pieces. Mm-hmm. And that they, they play a big role in driving that consistency and that challenging work and growth potential. You know, it's funny, I've, a lot of the companies I work for, they tend to gravitate towards compensation. That that, that might be the silver bullet in, in a lot of cases. Either they've tried, we've tried, or research shows that's not. That's actually pretty low on the list. But it's interesting the number of companies that tend to gravitate toward, toward money as a key driver, but it's really not. Oh, you're trying to save you throw money at it, it won't fix the problem? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I can't tell you how many times. We have horrible management, no one knows what we're doing, we have no planning, we have no culture, but if we give them more money, they're just, they'll just forget it all and they'll just be happy that they can right. you know, go buy crap they don't need. So, yeah, it's, it's, right. yeah. it's, uh, it, it's amazing, uh, and the research really does show that you know, giving people these particular other things, these not uh, kind of untangibles about their job um, are really so important as long as you're paying them at least a fair and decent wage based on the work they're doing and all that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yep. Yeah. So uh, in our research and have, getting really ready for you to come on the show, we noticed that it was kind of a common thread or theme about, you know, some of the feedback about you that really being kind of a solid team player that has the ability to bring the best out of people. So, what, what do you credit that, that sort of leadership ability to? Well, tell me who said that, so I'll make sure I, I pay them accordingly. <laughs> I appreciate that, appreciate that feedback. Now, I mean, kidding aside, I had, the, I had the opportunity to work for a really good leader, and really what I learned from that individual was that they cared about people getting better and doing more. So it wasn't just how do you do your job currently, but how do you start working toward that next level the next thing mm-hmm. are you doing what you love and then making sure that you give them the opportunity and the freedom to go do it because the folks that are high performers that really have that aspiration they figure most of it out on their own and so it's really kind of you know greasing the skids if you will um, and I've, I've taken that and I've applied that to my approach is that understand what they care about understand what motivates them why they're here and give them that opportunity and, 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 and let them go. Yeah. Now, sometimes it's the company and the culture that helps make that even more possible, and that's really why I came to Lockheed, because that's something we really drive in, in our scale and size and all the things that we touch give a lot of our employees that opportunity. Do you, do you ever find that uh, when you start to have those conversations, especially if you think the person is maybe not in the perfect role for them or they're not really doing things that they truly love or are good at but it's pretty obvious what they should be doing do you ever, do you ever kind of have this moment or sense of there's a distrust there that you have is it hard to, to have those conversations to get people to to really see what they should be doing when you as the leader it's pretty clear it's one of the biggest areas where i think most leaders spend a lot of their time 
and either don't realize they're doing it or or you know try to minimize that because I think you you know a lot of great leaders will tell you they spend most of their time with their high performers and building that career path and and helping them get to where they want to go versus those individuals that they're not sure they get it maybe they're not in the right role maybe they're not motivated all those factors uh, and, and so it is challenging and I think sometimes we as leaders either don't want to make those decisions they're too hard and so we tried to put all our effort into making them better or to try to get them and you know sort of over manage them if you will mm-hmm. when the reality is they need to be in a different role and so uh, it's the lessons I've painfully learned through my years <laughs> yeah absolutely it's uh, it, it's interesting how sometimes it's so clear you can see that someone should be doing one thing versus another and yeah it, it's just not uh, I don't know. It, 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 it's a tough conversation. You can spend a lot of time on that. And then I think you're very, very right in saying that uh, you can spend a lot of time almost overmanaging them or to the point that you're trying to help them be better in what they've chosen to do, even if that's maybe not really where they, where they should be. Right. Yeah, it can be tough. So I'm wondering, uh, since you seem like a sharp and articulate guy, you probably like to stay up on what's going on in the industry and maybe find a solution for one of those problems you've mentioned. So I'm wondering if there's a particular book you're reading right now that you might share with us. Uh, I am. It's uh, it's called Start With Why by Simon um, Sinek. He's, uh, yeah. He actually has a, a, a presentation on TED that I highly recommend everyone watch. It's, it's fantastic, yeah. Very motivating. <clears throat> His book, uh, as much so, and it's really um, based around the premise of starting with why is the key to driving and inspiring performance in action. And so they've obviously, you know, in his book, have cited a lot of examples, whether it's Apple or Southwest Airlines, and some of these successful companies, and more importantly, leaders, and what they have done within those organizations to, you know, set them apart to be to be successful, whether it's driving innovation at Apple, whether it's customer service at Southwest Airlines, you know, they, they all had a common thread, and that was they started with what's what are we really in business for? And it's just it's really inspiring, and, and you can apply that as a leader, whether you're leading a project, a division, or an entire organization. It's it's very inspiring, and it's easily applied as a leader. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. The video on TED is phenomenal. It's a, if anyone listening out there wants a fun team exercise, you could watch the video, you could read the book together. It really is good. And then uh, Simon also has quite a bit of free uh, resources on his website for all sorts of different little activities and things you can you can do in the organization to deal with that. And anyone out there that uh, enjoys that book, uh, I'm currently reading his latest book, uh, Leaders Eat Last, that so far has been just as good as, as, as the one you're reading now. So put that on your list for, for the next one. Uh, Part two of his thought process. I will. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And it's, you know, it's interesting, just a real quick um, add to, to the book, is for those that look for their next job, their next employer, you know, maybe think different about, you know, whether that company has that why. Right. That they know what they're aspiring to be, because that's, that's a big part of working for an organization that's going to go do some really cool cool things. And again, why I came to Lockheed. I mean, that, yeah, that's, and if and if you're aligned with their why, right? I mean, it's one thing. Exactly. If, yeah. Good point. Yep. Yeah. I mean, that's it's huge. And it's because a lot of times you get an organization, and you go, "Well, this is not really what I thought it was going to be." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but I'm making good money, and I like the people. But you know, long term, you know, it's eh, you can get those. But if you could make those decisions ahead of time, and you probably should have taken the you know two offers on your desk, and you flipped a coin, as opposed to maybe looking at, well, what do they really stand for? Why why are they in business, and why do they do what they do? Yeah. Exactly. 
So, well, uh, John, you've, you've been a fantastic guest. We've learned a lot about uh, you and your, your company and the things that you're doing. Um, so we, we really appreciate you being on the show uh, today and uh, sharing all this uh, great knowledge and uh, kind of uh, positive education with us. You bet. I appreciate it. I enjoyed being on here. So maybe we'll have you come back and give us an update when you've been uh, been there maybe a little bit longer, and maybe uh, get, get, you can let us know some of the, the dirt or the dirty laundry, but maybe that. No, I'm, kid, I'm kidding. Yeah, happy to. Yeah. <laughs> happy to. Thanks. All right, John. Uh, thank you so much again. And that's about all the time we have today for our show. Thanks again to my guests, uh, Brendan Farrell and uh, John Heilicker. Tune in next week, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It wouldn't be a show if I didn't uh, mumble, bumble something. To hear Brian uh, Arandez. CEO of uh, Thingify, and uh, looks like uh, Jeannie Shad. She's the SVP of Talent Development at uh, Lee Hetch Harrison. Boy, that was a that was a challenging two sentences there. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. As always, you've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 